Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. You know, I I love to teach. I love to really get into the Word. I love to... I break a lot of the hermeneutic rules in terms of uh, building sermons in the way that you're supposed to have like one or two scriptures and like one or two points. And it's like, uh, I will have 17 scriptures and then we'll read entire chapters. In fact, we're going to read an entire psalm today together. That's where we're going. But I don't know. I just felt like in this series, I just just to set this worshipful tone for the Christmas season, we just kind of worship through through Scripture together and meditate through Scripture together. And I don't know how you approach the Bible when you read the Bible. Read the Bible. I know. I just felt like pause for a moment when you actually read the Bible. Anyway. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how you approach it. I don't know if you approach it to look for answers for whatever's going on in your life. You know, I don't know if you approach it so, because you feel like you're supposed to be reading it, and maybe when you read, you realize how little you know, and so you get overwhelmed, and then you just don't read it. Or maybe you have a really healthy perspective of who you are in Christ, and you go to it and it speaks to you so much and you get so much out of it and you apply it. You know, I hope the way that you're, I hope you do it on a lot of levels, but I hope it never produces guilt and shame for you. So like if you read the Old Testament and you go back and you read through the law, like actually right now I'm wor- I'm, I'm working back through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it's, sometimes it's drudgery and heavy, but it's interesting to me. The older I get, the more interesting those books are to me. But, you know, I'm so thankful for Christ when I'm reading those books because, you know, here's the thing. If you read Scripture, especially the things that have to do with how you should be living and you're not measuring up and you feel guilty, good job because you're taking it seriously. But you also have to know that Jesus died for you and part of the thing that He accomplished in that is paying the price the penalty for not keeping the law and even breaking the law. So if you read something in the Old Covenant and you come across it or even in the New and you think, man, I wonder if I'm going to be judged for that. You're on the right track, but you just don't yet know who you are in Christ under the New Covenant. So it's okay to read things that you come across and you feel like, well, I'm not doing a very good job of that and recognize it. Good. I'm glad you're taking it seriously. But you also have to recognize, you know what? Christ fulfilled this for me. So now it's not an obligation for me to have to live in this, to live up to some kind of standard to keep God happy or be qualified. These are standards of how I should refine my life to live in such a way that I'm a good witness and represent God. And so there are still standards. There are still commandments and laws and requirements, but not for righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you throw that stuff out. We should still, we should be the cleanest, healthiest, holiest people on the planet. Amen? Because it produces the most fruit and it, and it, it represents God well. And I love what Paul says in 1 John. He says, Beloved, my little children, I write to you so that you know that you have salvation. And then he says, he says, don't sin. But if you do, remember that you've got an advocate with the Father. Remember that Christ is your atonement. Remember that Christ has paid the price for the thing that you're missing. You continue to make this mistake in. Now, that's not a license. That's not you should go back and continue or, or sweep it under the rug or any of that. It's just that, no, I, I, I still recognize that there's a standard but who I am, I'm already accepted with Christ. And I hope that that brings you great peace. And there is a wrestling with that inwardly in our minds and in our hearts when you read Scripture because, you know, those of us that take Scripture literally want to go to the Word to find out not just what to do, but how to actually even think about life, think about certain subjects. And so, like, the, you know, in that whole Thought Life series we went through, a month or so ago, 
and the exercises that are in there, which I keep hearing testimonies about that. But, uh, you know, if you don't know what God thinks about a particular subject and you feel like you're just kind of going through life and you're trying your best, man, I'm telling you, I, 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 I challenge you to make sure that you know how God sees every area of life that you're making decisions in. And you get that from the Word of God. And then the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom of how to live within it. So the truth and the standard is there. You have to constantly bathe your mind and fill your heart with the Word of God because it's alive. It's like a seed in there. And if it's planted and you cultivate it, it will grow and it will shape you. It turns into amazing things, the Word of God on the inside of you. It's the answer to everything that you need. But if you don't know it and if you don't know how God thinks, you'll be making decisions contrary to Him and you're at enmity with Him. If your decisions are not in alignment with His logic about a particular area of life, you're at enmity with Him. And enmity is not enemy, but enmity is like oil and water, you know? You put oil and water in a jar, you shake it up, it might mix a little bit, but you let it sit and what's it going to do? It's going to separate. They're at enmity. They can't commingle. But we want to be oil and oil mixed with Him. Amen? We want to be renewing our minds and our hearts soft toward Him. But if you feel like you have to approach Him and have everything right, you're going to keep yourself at enmity with Him. You're going to disqualify yourself. And, and you're going to call it humility because you feel guilty and you feel bad, but it's false humility. False humility approaches God with shame. I don't think I said it that way before. It's true, though. I'm not saying that you should feel good about your sin. I'm not saying you should walk in there and go, bless God, you should see what I did last night. You know what I mean? That's not boldness. That's disrespect. But you should, you should be able to put that off, stand before Him and your identity in Him, recognizing who He is and how He wants to work through you. So I, I just encourage you in this season as you're approaching Scripture, Take a more worshipful tone, and especially when you're engaging the Psalms. How many of you love the Psalms? Yeah. The Psalms are really powerful. There's a, I don't know, I think I'm going to have to do a series on it in um, 24, but the Psalms are incredibly prophetic of the Messiah. Like I'm preparing a course, I'm preparing to teach through um, Hebrews right now that we're going to record and, and put it up in our school of ministry, our school of transformation. And um, it's really fascinating because the author of Hebrews, who's writing to people who know the law, uses the Psalms almost more than anything to build the case for the identity of Christ. So he's not just writing new information necessarily and saying, well, let me tell you about this Jesus, right? You think the New Testament comes along, Jesus, everything's new. No, he uses vast amounts of the Psalms to build the case for who Jesus is. And then Peter, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, Peter stands up and he says, this is the time that Joel prophesied when the Spirit would be poured out. And then he goes on to quote David, and he, and he, makes, he, he sets the precedent that David, from the Psalms, is actually prophesying the very words of the Messiah while he's on the cross. And the more you read the Psalms, you start to recognize, man, this is Jesus praying from the cross. There are Psalms where it's like, this is Jesus praying in the grave to be delivered because he submitted himself to my darkness. He became like me and died my death and in the grave, he's experiencing what I would have experienced. And you can read a lot of the Psalms, Psalm 18, Psalm 30. Uh, there's a bunch of them that you read, specifically Psalm 18, you read through and it's like, man, if I read this properly and I see what the writer of Hebrews did and I see what Peter did and I look at the Psalms as prophetic of the, the very words of the Messiah, I can get a glimpse into what he's done for me. So a lot of the Psalms, you know, it's, crying out because the psalmist got himself in trouble. But many of the psalms, they're that, but also it's like that eternal state that, you know, he's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, echoed 
through the psalmist into those psalms and you pick up the mindset of what Jesus experienced for you. And I'm telling you, when you get into the psalms, don't, you know, it, it, misery loves company. And if you're miserable and you read the psalms and you're like, yep, see, he's miserable too. Bless God, I'm going to stay miserable. I read it more of an exchange. It's like, no, he went through this for me. He knows what I'm going through. He's a high priest touched with the feelings of my infirmity. He became like me in all ways, tempted in everything that I've been tempted of, yet without sin, so that he can strengthen me and help me through this process. And then when you get into the Psalms and you really start digging in and you see the mindset of what he actually is experiencing and went through for you, to me, it's incredibly comforting and then empowering. And, and, the, and, then, and then it just expands your understanding of the broader scope of what salvation is, you know, of, of, of what God accomplished in Christ and the lengths to which Jesus had to go through to step into our humanity and go through that. And there's some parts of it that we don't understand. And, you know, you're not going to understand. If there's some parts that still confuse you, you know, welcome to being human. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. But I'm telling you if, you, can, if you can go and approach Psalms that way, not all of them, but a lot of them, the one I want to walk through today is more of just this worshipful lifting Him up. Because that's where a lot of our trouble is, is ungratefulness, unthankfulness, woe is me mentality, this foreboding, doom and gloom expectation, and, and, and your way out of gloom is praise and worship. I mean, He genuinely gives you joy for heaviness, beauty for ashes, strength for weakness. You know, it's almost like worship and praise in the moment from the stance of gratitude, recognizing your identity because of what he's done, unlocks grace. And grace is strength and weakness. You know, like he, like he talks about with Paul. Paul prayed, take this thorn out. Take this thorn out of my side, which was most likely a people group persecuting him. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is power, it's strength, it's spiritual energy fueling you on the inside. And then he says, um, my strength is perfected in weakness. That's the effect of grace. God's not trying to make you weak, but when you are weak, there's grace. So then Paul says, well, man, I rejoice in my weakness because then I've got access to something that I didn't realize that I had. So Praise and worship, what I hope it does, and even praying through the Psalms, what I hope it does is it puts you in a thankful mindset and it lifts Jesus up and it expands your, your expectation beyond your circumstances of who God is. And like we talked about last week, as you behold Him, you become like Him. I pray that that's what praise and worship and even just, even just meditatively praying through Scripture and reading through Scripture is. It's like Mike, Mike brought out a really great point last week that, you know, I think it was 2 Corinthians. Actually, I think it's still in our notes. Let me just, let me just look at that again. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, if you see it before I do, there we go. Yeah, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is what was predestined, is that we could be transformed into the image of Christ. And, and that's what we do. We renew our minds to participate in being conformed into the image of Christ. Spiritually, you look, I'm not going to say you look just like Him, but spiritually, you're perfected. You're a child of God. You know what I'm saying? Spiritually, who you are is just like Jesus in that eternal court. You're a joint heir with Him. You've been made a child of God. I'm not saying you're God. You know, you're not part of the Trinity, but you have been made one with God. It's this interesting marriage that's almost, if you really think to the depths of it, it almost feels blasphemous 
to think about how one with God you actually are. And that's got to be our mindset when we approach this. And so looking into Scripture, the point that you made, and I may have to actually have to get you to say it, but I think it was to the effect of, you know, you should... So looking... Do you remember what you said? Well, it, what captured me when you brought it up uh, last week was the fact when you look in the mirror, what are you looking at? Yeah. You see your image. Yeah. But it's telling us what we're to see is the glory of the Lord. Mm. And so, and it's the reflection, right? It's yep. what we should see. But you jump over to James, and James says, you know, don't be doubly minded. Yeah. Because when you look in the mirror and turn away and forget what manner of man you are, that's a double-minded person. We're going to have to get him to preach this message. I'm, you guys want to hear that? But that's it, though. So you should, you, should, you should look in the mirror and see the glory of God. And if you don't, you've forgotten what you are. Exactly. Do you, do you see that in, the, in that passage? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image? Is that not what it says? Man, we have such a limited view of who and what we are. But this is what the Word of God is trying to do. So that when you look in the mirror, you don't see lack and deficit. You see the product of the hand of God through Christ because you're thankful. And so that means there are some things that you would like to see happen that have not yet happened. You know, it's like we strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, it's like we focus on the one thing that's not exactly like we want, and it's like you got a hundred things to be thankful for. I mean, that's honestly a word for somebody in here. What is it that you're focused on that's bigger than the hundred things that are amazing in your life to be thankful for? Really, honestly, think about that. I mean, you got toes. When's the last time you were thankful for your toes so that when you walk, you're not falling on your face? I mean, honestly, every step you take, are you thankful for your big toe? And you can turn this way and you can turn that way. I mean, you know, people have issues, but your knee joints, even those of you that got new ones, praise God for those. At, at whatever level, you know. So do we worship God because of what He can do for us or because of who He is? That's the question that I would ask. Do you worship Him because you feel like you have to? Like, why do you worship God? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition into just walking through this psalm. But, you know, a, a lot of times when we read Scripture, we need to take the time to put ourselves in the right mindset. Your identity recognizing who Christ is, recognizing who you are, even determining why you're going into the Word in that moment. Because, you know, if you've ever tried to read the Word and it just kind of feels flat, maybe you feel, I don't understand, or, you know, I haven't been taught or educated, or I don't, you know, I'm not qualified. What, whatever all the limiting, everybody feels, let me just tell you, everybody feels that way. Don't do that, you know. That'd be like going and sitting and looking at the sun and disqualifying yourself from, experiencing the benefits of the vitamin D coming from it. Like, you're going to get benefit from it. Just read it. Be open. Quit judging yourself. Quit letting those voices of insecurity and, and lack and shame and guilt disqualify you from being nourished in that moment for whatever it has. And then rejoice and praise God for what you do get out of it. Amen? And when it comes to worship, let me ask you that. Why do you worship God? What is worship for you? You know, to me, it's just gratitude, reverential gratitude, recognizing Him, being awed by Him. You know, you stand out and you look up at the stars and it's like, man, you perfectly fine-tuned this planet for me not to just stand here and live and survive, but to actually have an enjoyable experience the beauty and the majesty and the relationships that we get to enjoy. Where, how do we worship? What's the mindset that we worship? You know, do you worship God because of what He can do for you? Do you pray 
need-based, lack-based, or do you pray relationship-based? Because it's about beholding Him. And this is, this is kind of the main, one of the main themes that I see emerging in this series is that worship is to behold Him. So do we worship Him because of what He can do for us or because of who He is? And now listen to this part. Because when you fully see who He is, you recognize all that He's already done. And when you worship in light of Christ's finished work, you see that God has already given you everything He has to give you because He gave you Christ, who is all in all, the sufficient one, the seed of heaven. He's everything that God has to give, and you have Him. There's nothing else that God has to give you that's better or more fulfilling, or outside the realm of what Christ is in you. And so it's not just the person of Him, but all that He is. And I see Him partially planting the kingdom on the inside of us. I mean, He, he is all in all. He is our righteousness. And, it, and it's as if His seed has been planted on the inside of us to grow. And so as we worship, this is what we do. We're nurturing that seed. We're nurturing His life on the inside of us from this place of relationship, gratitude. Amen? So, Philip, I think I'm going to have you walk through here with me. So just in Psalm 145, and maybe this is an example, certainly a, a, a group effort, a group exercise, collective worship. You know, we, we, <clears throat> we worship in song. I saw, I saw a thing, um, I was going to ask some of you worship people about this too, that, that, and I'd never thought about this, but it, but it, it asked the question, uh, when did worship become exclusively about music? And that's not a negative thing. I love music. Uh, but it expands my perspective of what worship can be and what worship is and how it can be in the day-to-day -day mundane in gratitude and thankfulness. So just as an example and as, a, as, a, as an exercise, walking through this together, looking at Psalm 145 and starting in one and just walking through, you know, why do you worship Him? Do you worship Him? Because you need, because you're desperate, and I don't mean good desperate. You're feeling guilty, you're feeling overwhelmed, whatever it might be, however you approach Scripture. Reshift it so that you're not dragging all your baggage through Scripture, but you're actually able to engage Him in a healthy place of worship. So that genuinely, when you praise Him, in verse 1, I will extol. And the word extol is praise, lift up, magnify. So if we were to pray through this together, maybe each person would give insight. But in this environment, I will extol Him. Now, just put yourself in this place where you're aware of His presence with us. And let's just pray. Jesus, we thank You. Thank You that You're with us. You said you'd never leave us, you'd never forsake us. And we're not looking for some mystical experience. We just acknowledge that you're real. Your dimension, your realm is even more real than this place because it's eternal. This place will change and where you are never will. Father, thank you that we're connected to you. And Jesus, you are right here in our midst and we recognize you as God the all-sufficient one, the preeminent one, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. I will praise you. I will magnify you. I will make you bigger in my heart and in my mind than anything else. Whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm holding on to, 
I shift my focus and even my emotions away from that, and I lift you up. I'm not going to lift up the financial situation. I'm not going to lift up the job. I'm not going to lift up how I feel in my shortcomings with my children or my relationships or whatever. I'm not going to hold that stuff up. I'm going to hold you up, Jesus, and who you are. And as I behold you, I become like you, and you're the perfect parent. You're a good provider. You are perfect wisdom. Everything is in you that I want to be. You've made me like you, and I want to become more like you. So I lift you up. I extol you. You are my God and my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. And to bless your name is to recognize your authority. I recognize who you are. I bless your name, Lord. I recognize the power within your name. Jesus, my Lord and my God, like Thomas said, when you showed up in front of him with those wounds and those scars, Thomas was doubting and he said, my Lord and my God, because he saw. He saw what you did for him. In fact, you walked up to him and you said, Thomas, put your finger right here in my side where I bled for you, where I shed my blood for you. I make that bigger than anything. I make your heart revealed in that moment bigger than anything else to shape how you see me and how I see myself. Then verse 2, every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever. So I'm just putting myself in my bedroom when I first wake up. I'm looking around my bedroom in my mind and my imagination, and I choose to worship you from the first moment of consciousness. And I'm walking through my home and in, into the workplace, and I'm seeing everything, and I just see myself worshiping and praising you. You know, th this is something that you can do if you have areas of temptation or you have difficult areas of life. You can preemptively decide how you're going to respond to those situations. See, because your heart and your brain doesn't know the difference. It's like you can put yourself in the situation ahead of time, feeling all the emotions of what it's like to be in that situation, and then tell yourself and watch yourself, and even in the moment before you're there, choose how you're going to respond to it. You're going to be victorious. You're not going to give in. You're going to behave this way, and your heart doesn't know the difference. For example, you watch a movie. How many of you cry at movies? Why? What's wrong with you? It's not real. It's not happening to you. Why are you crying at that movie? Because it's real on the inside. Your heart doesn't know the difference. Your physiology responds as if it's happening to you. You can do that with the Word of God. You can play the movie with the Word of God in your mind so that whatever area you're struggling in, you see yourself being, being fueled and empowered by the Word, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God in that moment. This is how you overcome temptation. This is how you turn away from sin. This is how you respond to that person that you're sandpaper person. You see yourself ahead of time. You are not a victim of life. You can praise and see, him, see ahead of time. I'm not exactly sure how I got that out of this passage, but that's what happens. You read through these and say, oh, okay, there's wisdom. There's practical application, right? Every day I'm going to bless you. So apparently what he wants us to know is as we bless him in our day, he's going to give us what we need before we ever even need it. He sees ahead and makes provision. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Your greatness is unsearchable. You know, when I think that I understand the moment and it's not great, I'm not seeing you as great in that, I'm going to change how I think. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind. And I'm just thinking about how you said that we would learn of your grace forever in the ages to come, the unsearchable riches of your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 4, 
One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, maybe that's a moment where you feel conviction toward evangelism or something like that. But then you just decide, you know what? I will declare. When I get the opportunity, I'm going to tell people about you. Verse 5, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Man, thank you, Lord. What does that look like? The glorious splendor of your majesty. Praise God. Praise you, Lord. I'm going to tell on myself, and this is not very reverential, just so you know. But back in the day, before Christ, I may have dipped a little bit into psychedelics and all that kind of stuff, you know. But, I, what, but, but what I remember is when you're, when you're in that perspective and mindset and your brain is affected, it slows everything down, which is why everything seems so amazing. And you're sitting there and you're looking at your hand. And it's dumb, and I don't recommend it. There's a resurgence of psychedelics, and it's a shortcut. And, I, you know, it popped into my mind. I'm like, do I really want to bring that up? But, but I feel like there's people watching this, especially on video, that you're entertaining the idea of psychedelics because of a spiritual experience. Don't do... It's a shortcut. It, it's, it's not... It's not it, 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 it tunes you in such a way where you become incredibly susceptible to deception. It feels like you're having a spiritual experience, but you're not. It's a shortcut. It's a, it's a key. It's an opportunity for deception. But what I see in this is slowing down, taking the time to slow your mind down, slow your brain down, the rat race of life going by. Do you take the time to just slow down and meditate on His glorious splendor, on His majesty, and on His wondrous works? You know, this is something you can do as you read through the New Testament. I know that's like a weird example, but it's all right. But as you read through the New Testament and you watch Jesus do a miracle, do you go through it slowly or do you just read across it? It's like, man, that's amazing. He can do that. I want to be able to do that. We should be able to do that. On to the next story. Or do you slow down and you take the time to say, man, look at how he treated this person here. Look at how he responded to this person here. In fact, that's a really powerful exercise that you can do as you're reading through the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, it's to just watch how Jesus treated people. You know, yes, you want to learn doctrine. Yes, you want to grow. Yes, you want to understand. But from a human perspective, and Jesus is the best example of God that we have, uh, watch how he treats people. And to me, that's meditating on his wondrous works. You're watching what he does for people, the care and the concern that he has for people. All your works shall praise you. O oh Lord, and your saints shall bless you. And I am a saint. You've made me a saint. I am no longer a sinner by nature. You've changed my nature. And I'm a saint in your kingdom. And they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. What, what will? His wondrous works. Even those works praise Him. So what, what do I see in my life that is a work of God that sings praise to God? What do I have to be thankful for in my life that is clearly the evidence of God? And that work, just that work alone, you know, Jesus was constantly... They were always trying to trip him up. The, the, the lawyers, the Pharisees were always trying to trip him up with a question about the law. And he said, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't believe what I'm saying to you and believe what I'm teaching you and believe from that perspective, look what I'm doing. And at least believe for just the work's sake. You know, I just think of Jesus. It's almost like that's an echo of fulfillment of him in this passage here to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endure, endures throughout all generations. Thank you, Father, for your kingdom. Thank you that you placed your kingdom in me. And see, when I'm doing this, when I'm slowing down, 
and I go a lot slower when I'm doing this personally, but I'm thinking about his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom. There's a passage in the Old Testament that says he's placed eternity in our hearts. Truly the kingdom of heaven is within. I'm an ambassador. I have been given assignments from the heavenly dimension to represent God on this earth because I belong to His kingdom. In fact, I'm already in His kingdom and His kingdom is in me. I can live in such a way where the prayer of Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom is available. Your kingdom is at hand. I'm in the middle of it right now. Your kingdom is not just some distant, far-off planet outside of our universe or on the edges of the universe. It's a realm. I, I, as, I, as I move and live, I'm within the dimensions of your kingdom. And I'll just show you where my brain goes. From a dimension, dimensional perspective, kingdom. It's like we live in three dimensions, you know, just a three-dimensional realm. You can go forward and backward. That's one dimension. That's one plane of existence. I can go this way, left and right. And those are just dimensions. They're dimensions of space. And then if you add a third dimension, you can go up and down. So you can move all within three dimensions, right? Those are dimensions that we live within. And then you layer in what people that are way smarter than me have come to the conclusion of and consider time another dimension. And so where is time? What is time? Think about it. It's happening to you. It's affecting you. You take an apple, you take a bite of it, you set it on the table, you leave it there. If we were to leave it here for a week, come back next week, time has affected it. And, and physicists almost look at time as a, a, a dimension that only moves in one direction. You can move in different directions within three dimensions, but time's moving in one direction. And where is it? You move your hand, you're moving within time. I think the kingdom is the same way. It's a dimension that we are within. You know, it's like if you were to think of the electromagnetic spectrum and there's visible light, you can see certain kinds of light, but then there's also gamma rays and X-rays. You can't see those, but they're here. They're moving around. The kingdom of heaven is the same way. It's just a higher order of existence, a higher frequency, a higher, more pure, clear energy, whatever. Whatever these dimensions that we live within, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is not out there. And, and faith engages the resources of the kingdom. As I trust and as I believe and as I speak and as I make decisions congruent with God's logic and wisdom, then I experience kingdom. And that says a lot to me. That, and I get that out of this. When I read verse 13, I think of kingdom. I don't want to have some distant, just religious view of being in His kingdom. And the Lord upholds all who fall. Verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I get a thank you, Jesus? Amen. Can I get a... Oh, man, thank you so much. <laughs> Praise God for that one. How many of you are thankful that the Lord upholds all who fall? You ever fall? When's the last time you fell? Don't answer that. <laughs> He's upholding you. He's not going to let you go and raises up all who are bowed down. What does, that tell you? what does that say to you? What's the action for you in that? The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm just thinking of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6. The Lord knows what you need before you ever even ask. He adds all these. You seek Him first. Seek His kingdom first and His righteousness, which He's given it to you already. You seek to see it. It's like, to me, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then experience all things being added to me. It's the same as that 2 Corinthians 3.18 verse, and that is, we look into the mirror to see the glory of God reflected back to us. 
His provision is available. He's providing for us. And you give them their food in due season. Thank you. It's just the nature of what and who you are. You're a provider. So I'm thinking of Jesus 6. He talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He says, look at the flowers. They burn. Look at the birds. They're flying around. They're not worried. You've never seen, have you ever seen a bird ringing its feet or its wings? Where am I going to get my seed today? My wife's laughing at me. But think about it. You ever seen a bird worrying? You ever seen a bird worrying? Then why would we? Because this right here, this verse, do you believe this? I mean, honestly, do you actually believe this? You give them their food in due season? And we're not just talking about food. We're talking about sustenance for whatever it is that you need. Fear, anxiety, worry. The food of the Spirit of the living God is available to you. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Man, this is how, these are the kinds of thoughts that I want to have about you. I don't want to entertain the thoughts of confusion of why this happened, why that didn't happen. We live in a broken world. That's why this stuff happens. But this is who you are. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Praise God. Praise you that I'm experiencing that. It's just who you are. That's how I want to see you. That's who you truly are, Lord. Now, if you have a specific need in that and you need a desire to change, maybe you even have some neurological, physiological issues going on and your desire is that you just don't think that way anymore. That's just not the kind of person that you are anymore. You, you actually, did you know that you actually can experience transformation where you don't stay stuck in the same patterns that you've always lived within? You don't have to stay stuck in the worry cycle. You don't have to stay stuck in that, those kinds of thought processes that keep you locked into that quality of life. You can experience transformation. And beholding Him, recognizing Him, can make a difference. In the, in the, his, his Word is life. It's living. His Spirit is powerful to change you. And, and He's trying. I mean, how worried is Jesus? How stressed out is Jesus? How anxious is Jesus? <clears throat> how much is Jesus struggling with sin? We're talking about desire, verse 15. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And I see him with a hand open. He's not forcing it. He's not punching it into your life. It's an open hand. It's an invitation. So I say, yeah, just say yes to him. I say, yes, Lord. And I reach out to you, to your open hand. And you're just praying your way through this, being almost a poetic performer of the word. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. You're gracious in all your works. And the Lord is near to all who call upon Him. All who call upon Him in truth. Thank you, Lord, that you're right here with us. You're near to me. You're not going to leave me. You're not going to forsake me. You ever feel like He's distant? Maybe even you're going through something right now, you feel like He's distant. Maybe He doesn't. He's forgotten about you or... Maybe you're the exception. It's not going to work for you. It works for everybody else, but for you, eh. He's near. He's right there with you. He will. Look at this one, verse 19. He will. Say, He will. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Man, do you believe that? Like, is that true to you? When you think about God, is that how, do you question that at all? A lot of people do. And so we started out a few weeks ago when we looked at the word fear. When Jesus talked about fearing him, he framed it in the idea of worshiping him. So fear is to not be afraid of God, it's to worship him. 
and your desires are met in that situation. And it's not that you perform worship to get God to give you your desire. It's that as you worship Him, you behold Him, and then you become like Him, and then your desires come into harmony with His desires, and you desire what He desires. That's how it works. You have to be willing to change when you behold Him and engage the Word. In fact, if you don't walk away changed with your desires affected so that you're desiring a more holy expression, a more righteous expression, a more godly outcome, I'm not going to say you're doing it wrong. I'm just saying stay in there and in His face until you actually... And it's not easy. It's the hardest thing you will do. That is to behold Him and then let those desires and those inward things change. And then you're a different person. You literally are shaped and molded into His image in that moment. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him and worship Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. And the Lord preserves all who love Him. Do you love Him? But all the wicked He will destroy. Thank you, Father, that I am not the wicked, that you've changed me, you've saved me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And then he ends in verse 21, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. And sometimes you got to tell yourself that. You know, that's something that David did. He's like, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. And sometimes you got to get in your own face. Hey, stop it. Quit it. We quit being negative. I w well, we're really good at beating ourselves up. But you got to quit being the victim. Quit being the victim of your emotions. Quit being the victim of whatever's happened to you and bless His holy name. And, and, and I love that He says it, that, you know, the nuance and the detail in the Word and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever. Now, how do you put that into practice? We know every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess in the resurrection at the final judgment, at the separation of the sheep and the goats, when the lake of fire swallows up death and all of that. We know that that's coming, and this does apply to that, but you personally, does your flesh bless His name? When you're struggling with that thing that you struggle with, anger, fear, can you actually shift your mindset to where your flesh is blessing His holy name. Just think about that. And I'm not just talking about how you feel. I'm not just talking about your emotions. I'm talking about how you see Him and what's possible. Amen? Everything that is within me will bless your holy name, Jesus. Because I am not my own, and I do not belong to myself. I am yours. And you paid the ultimate price for me. And I trust you, and I'm willing to be clay in your hands, to be shaped and molded by you. I still get to be me, but I get to be me reflecting you. And that's all I want, Lord. I just want to glorify and honor your name. And I want to praise you every day. I want to, I want to reflect exactly what you would want me to reflect. And like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And that doesn't have to be a burdened, difficult journey. Taking your, taking your yoke, Jesus, is easy and light. I may go through difficulties. I will go through difficulties. But I can go through them worshiping with every fiber of my being, praising you, Jesus. Praising you, Father. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We praise your name. We lift you up in this place. Amen, 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 amen. Now, that might be a little bit different sermon, but I hope it's an example to you. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you take it, put it into practice. I hope you go and you read the Psalms. <clears throat> I hope you have a more worshipful, awe-inspired Christmas season where you get over yourself 
and you put him first and he genuinely is the reason for the season and we get to be lights in awe of him. Amen? Let's stand up just one last time. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're with us. You're in this place. And if you're in this room today, you've never said yes to Jesus. You'd like to for the first time. You want to give your life to him. Just raise your hand. Just lift up your hand. You want to say yes to him for the first time. Yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to give my life to him. I want to follow you. And if you're watching online and that's you, there's going to be a video come up after this. Walk you through that. But I yield to you, Holy Spirit. I yield to you. I, I, I want to be the type of believer that is first and foremost worshipful of you, that is grateful and thankful. And the first moment of every day, I bless your name and I praise you. And not from some just sanitized, religious, squeaky clean life that's boring. I mean, just from a place where I'm actually recognizing that the Creator God wants to be part of my life, the one that holds all power in His hand, the one that somehow became human and walked on water and calmed the seas and multiplied bread and healed diseases. You walk with me in a very real way, and I want to look like you. And I know that one of the ways into being shaped into your image is to praise you and worship you. But I'm going to be real in the process, and I'm not going to fake it. But help me. Help me, Lord. I want to do it in my own way. You, you don't have to do it in, a, in anybody else's way. You don't have to do it like I do it. But I pray that you find a way to worship Him and place Him first and bless His holy name until every aspect of your flesh and your being and your emotions and your thoughts and your choices and your life reflects the risen King. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We trust you and we love you. Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise God. Thank you for walking through that. I know it may feel a little bit heavier than normal, but, but I pray that you go do that on your own. And you can do it with a smile on your face with like really fun music playing in the background. Maybe it'll be more fun. <laughs> but do it. Engage the word. Amen. All right. Bless you guys. Parents with kids, go ahead and go back there. Check out your kids. Bring them back in here and they'll flip the room. Have a great week.